Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Detour Live. It's the second rest day at the Tour of Spain. I'm tipping if he, the riders and staff are going to need it because I was talking to the sheriff on WhatsApp and it was a monster transfer last night. And I used to hate those long transfers. Even with the Jelly Bean game, even with the iPad, they just cook you. And the rest day, particularly the second one, is one that you spend the whole day sleeping. You- <laughs> I could imagine. Well, you know what? They had... I heard one of the guys saying they had an hour and a half transfer to the start and then 200k in the bike race and then four-hour transfer last night. All the teams didn't get to their accommodation until 11 o'clock last night. That's uh, terrible, uh, terrible. Yeah, and a lot of the a lot of the teams have to, you know, have the masseurs on the bus, have to set like a, a triage sort of table at the back of the bus to do massages and just yeah that's that's the real point of the race where you're going geez i'm not really enjoying this anyway we've got a massive show we're gonna have to speak to <laughs> chloe hosking uh who's got a remarkable story coming back from having covid uh last june and then winning a stage in uh the last stage in norway uh and also matt keenan a commentator extraordinaire uh, and we're, we're obviously going to unpack all the uh, action from the first couple of weeks of uh, Tour of Spain. But uh, we've got Chloe in the waiting room, Ify. And, and what can you say about Chloe before we bring her on? Well, she's the reigning Bay Crits champion. Well, I knew you'd open with that. <laughs> I knew you'd open with that. She's t- a twice winner of the Bay Crits. Oh, look, yep. she's a superstar, as we know. Uh, Commonwealth Games road champion and one of the world's great road sprinters. Uh, and she's got a really interesting story to 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 tell. So uh, let's get her on. Well, I think I think she's still getting stuff right. Ah, oh, there she is. Can you hear us, Chloe? Hey guys, I can hear you. I, I'm very I'm very unorganised this morning, and my husband's on a work meeting, so you uh, might hear him. That's fine. I just saw uh, the camera going good. everywhere, and I thought, oh, geez, I don't want to. I want to bring you in if we're just staring at the mirror and you're, you're getting other affairs in order. So that's yeah, good. no, I thought I'd get my headphones and hopefully uh, block him out. <laughs> well, unlike most guests, your audio is crisp, so that move ah, to get the headphones was very excellent. good. <laughs> really appreciate. It. How you feeling? Yeah. Uh, I'll be honest, I'm a bit bruised and battered, but um, I just need a few days recovery. I took a really huge fall in um, the fourth stage of the CIMAC Ladies Tour that I was just racing. So it was with like 4K to go and literally only six. Um, yeah, yeah, here we got it. Here yeah. we got it. Here it goes. So six, six girls got through and I must have been one of the third or fourth person to come down and, you know, at that speed. Yeah, yeah, you can't even brace for impact. You just bang on the ground. So, uh, but I'm fine. <laughs> well, yeah, the one thing that's been happening in the last 12 months, 18 months, is the ladies have been starting to out do, outshine the guys in lots of ways. But I didn't want you to outshine this way because the blokes have had a couple of big smashes this year, Tour de France, and, and you've outdone them again in this one. Yeah, it's... um. It, I was actually in the middle of the race and thinking, wow, these are the same roads that we've raced on for the last, you know, 10 years. I've been doing this for a long time, but uh, the roads haven't changed, but the speed that we race at has. And, um, yeah, you you start to think, like, it's pretty crazy what we're doing, actually. (laughs) So we mentioned at the top of the show, I was going to say you had a fantastic victory, uh, 
with with your comeback. Can can you take us through what actually happened last year? You know, contracting COVID. Not and last how year, to... mate. It was it was this year. Yeah, this yeah. Year. Oh, geez. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, well, we have this year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, now it's my turn for bad research, John. <laughs> but yeah, but take, no. take us through that battle. So I was, um, yeah, did my whole preseason, came to Europe. Leaving Australia felt pretty stupid, to be honest, because, you know, at that point in time, Australia was like, you know, the golden uh, standard. standard. And then, so then you come over to Europe where it was not the golden standard. And um, I met up with my Trek Segafredo team, started the spring, of course, like, you know, it was a new team. So I felt like, okay, I've got to get some runs on the board early. And then literally uh, we had like a burst of our team bubble and a lot of people started testing positive for COVID and I was one of them. So, um, which was bad enough, you know, get the phone call from the team doctor, uh, Chloe, you tested positive for COVID. And I was like, ah, shit. <laughs> So, and then, but, you know, you see around you, people are testing positive and are back racing in two weeks, three weeks, whatever. So you're like, okay, that's best case scenario. That's what's going to happen to me. And that was not what happened to me. So I um, started the return to training um, protocol and was doing some tests. Uh, but like my blood values kept coming back bad. Um, the troponin or I don't know how to pronounce it properly, but the value that relates to the muscle of the heart kept coming back bad. And so then I had to get an MRI and we found out that I had um, like an inflammation of the sac that protects the heart. And so I, the specialist said, yeah, in a normal person, we would say three months, no exercise. <laughs> mm. So I'm sitting in there and I'm like, oh, my God, like, that's my profession. Like, what I do is exercise. So um, that was a big sort of I just had to process it. And then it's compounded by the fact that, you know, we can't really get home. You know, in a normal situation, well, I wouldn't have had the inflammation because I wouldn't have caught COVID. But I would have been able to go home, be with my family, be in that supportive environment, Um you know, have access to all the medical support that Cycling Australia pr would provide. Um, but no, I was in Europe and I was stuck in Europe. So I um, had to deal with that. And like it was really two months of um, really not much. Um, so I was probably just riding my bike, but um, like max two hours really. And so I got pretty unfit. <laughs> And then um, I had to, I was able to start training again, bringing a bit more intensity in. And that was the beginning of July. And I had my first race back, which was the ladies tour of Norway, um, the 12th of August. So, but even then, like I had a few more stop starts. I had um, my final medical check which what I thought was going to be my final medical check um, still showed that I had some inflammation around the heart. And so the cardiologist was like, I can't give you the green light to start racing. Um, so then I had to go back another two weeks later and do some more testing. And I ended up doing like a Zwift race where, and they were like, 
the whole time I had like all these wires connected to me and they were like monitoring my heart the whole time. And I hate swift races. <laughs> so maybe that was the worst part of the whole experience, having to do a swift race to get the ticket of approval. Um, so, but yeah, for 48 hours, they like monitored my heart. And then um, I was finally given the green light. So yeah, I started back at Norway. And to be honest, I, I had like no expectations. Uh, mm. And if, if I had any expectations, it was that I was going to be dropped out the back every day by myself. Um, but I was, yeah, pleasantly surprised with how I came back. Um, and then I finished with the last stage. I, I um, won, which was not, like, in the plan at all. You know, I was using Norway as preparation um, for the races coming later in the season and just to get back into the swing of racing. But, yeah, this sprint that I won, it was, um, it was totally suited to me. You know, it, it's a... You have to be quite smart and it's a, a lot more tactics than actually speed and I nailed my tactics that day. So, yeah. Sensational, yeah. You've had so many victories throughout your career. Does that one sit right near the top? Yeah, I mean, it definitely does just because of the whole backstory, you know, mm. and there were really points where I was like, should I just go home? Like, should I call the season over? And then to the other side, it was like, am I going to recover? You know, there's so much uncertainty around COVID. And really when it all started kicking off, I was I was really scared to catch it. And because I, you know, you have heard stories that it's been career ending and I just, I'm not ready for my career to be over. So... Um, <laughs> Neither are we. We're not ready. <laughs> so to come back and um, already be, you know, right in the mix at the world tour level, it's... Um, it's really special and um, uh, also reassuring to know that, okay, I'm still at this level, I can still compete at this level and um, I can still win at this level. I was reading uh, one of the websites uh, uh, on your story and I, I could I could feel your frustration while I was reading the story because you never got that sick, you had to go to the hospital or anything, but there you were, you know, not being able to train, as you say, not being able to be with your family or, uh, or or anything. Uh, I could just I could just feel your frustration, but you're a tough nut. I knew you'd get through it. <laughs> yeah, no. Th I think also what was really hard was you know if you crash and you broke your collarbone or you break your arm or something, like you go to your physio and you have your process, your exercises that you do, and you can see the progress of your injury improving. But I was injured, but I couldn't see it and I couldn't feel it. And I was just being told I had to slow down. And um, if you ask my parents, I've never been good at slowing down. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it was tough. And, yeah, not being able to see the progress, it really, uh, it took a lot of, like, yeah, it was mentally super hard, really. <laughs> well, Chloe, I was pretty embarrassed about my terrible research earlier, so I've had to bring in the big guns. And here's a man who's an encyclopedia with dates. He doesn't make any mistakes. That's, of course, Matthew Keenan. <laughs> Uh, I thought hey, you were going Chloe. to say Wikipedia, but he's almost <laughs> as good as Wikipedia. No, he's better. He's better. No, Wikipedia is like uh, Dan. They make mistakes. Okay. Very good. I was just listening to that last bit of that, Chloe. I can imagine you when you were told, Chloe, you need to rest. Your response would have been, okay, how many reps is that? 
<laughs> yeah, no, really, it was. And I asked my doctor, so so what can I actually do? <laughs> you know, it's like, ah, ah. but um, yeah, I, I didn't have to totally rest. I could do some things, but it wasn't the type of training that you need to be doing to be at the level, you know, um, that is the world tour these days. So, um, yeah, it was yeah. <laughs> just had to I, yeah make a plan. I, I think a, a lot of a lot of people from the outside they look at athletes and they think, oh, is that athlete under training? That athlete's not doing enough. When the reality is that most elite athletes they probably make the mistake of overtraining, particularly endurance athletes, whether it be triathletes, cyclists, or middle distance runners and marathon runners. Um. Is there a question? No, it's just, it's, it's, it's like a, a sort of general, general statement for ongoing conversation. Would you agree or not? Yeah. No, I wouldn't. I, actually, you know, I, I know it, it like I read a, a quote from Peter Sagan a couple of years ago and he said, um, the most important session is the session like if you do one too many, you know, you it's better to do one too few than one too many. And um, so if I look at it in I the agree. scheme of, yeah. <laughs> John, For, 10 too few is not the right answer, though. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chloe, oh, well, we, we, we talk on this show a lot, um, particularly that, you know, most of Australia is in lockdown at the moment. And it's all about, you know, mental resilience and, and processes. Like, what did you do when you dealt with, you know, this massive setback? What was the mental process to move forward, you know? I think actually what a lot of people probably um, don't do is let yourself feel sorry for yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> like I was in a super shit situation and I did let myself just be like, well, Chloe, this really sucks and sort of process that for a while. And then I moved forward to be like, okay, what can I do? What can I control? And um also then focusing on so those little those little things that I could control and then also what makes me happy. So um, because, you know, especially as a professional athlete, there's the, the idea of what is what you have to do to be a professional athlete, but that's not sustainable. And it's especially not sustainable when you've got all these other things being thrown at you. So I was doing what I could do training wise, but then I was also making sure that I was doing things that I enjoyed. So simple things like watching a movie or I was fortunate because I, I ended up doing a lot of my sort of downtime in Denmark and they were pretty open so I could go to the cinema or like making sure I was in really regular contact with my family and also like not being afraid to like call my sister and be like I'm having a really shit day like Mm. and so yeah just being open to people and speaking I would say is is what got me through that time it's great great response Oh, it's awesome. I, I think that lack of control has been one of the hardest things for everybody going through the COVID period mm. is you're accustomed to at least having control over what you can do. And that lack of control, it, for somebody in a really privileged position, I've still been able to work and sure, we're doing homeschooling and so on. And I'm in a great position relative to most other people, but it's that lack of control is really challenging. Yeah. Mm. yeah. But even but even the process to get to Norway wasn't easy for you. Like if you were saying off air, like it was a twelve hour process just to oh, get to yeah. the bloody race. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I um 
is normally like travel days you dread, but I was actually just so excited to be going to a race. Like it was the first time in really a long time that I like documented my travel day. Like I was taking photos of my bags on the train and yeah, it was a really long day. I could have been halfway to Australia, but I just, I was really just so happy to be back racing and yeah, even crashing in Holland in uh, Cymac tour just the other day, I, I was still took a lot of, I, I got a lot of energy from being around my teammates. And um, so uh, to be honest, uh yeah, a, a nightmare travel day is not enough to um, dampen my spirits right now. <laughs> That's right. That's good. I was going to ask, uh, Chloe, what's the program now? I see you're still uh, um, looking at riding the world. So what, what's the program uh, for the next few weeks? Yeah, no, I actually have a really good race program until the end of the year. And that was something that really helped me um, stay focused and to know that there were a lot of races coming up that did suit me if I could get back. Um, so in a week's time, I start, um, a tour in France, uh, which is a seven day stage race called Ardèche. Um, and yeah, okay. There'll be some hilly days, but there's also some good stage win opportunities there. So I'm going some, um, stage hunt winning or stage win hunting or whatever. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, I won a stage there last year. So for sure that's on my radar. And then I do a one day race that I won in France just a few days before the World Championships. And I did get the call up for the Worlds. So uh, yeah, of course, I'm really pleased with that, with the course being what it is. It's probably the most Chloe-friendly course for me that's been the last couple of years. So I I'm not going in with any expectations, just enjoy it, which is really my goal for the rest of this year because of what has been, yeah, a unique year. And actually, Matt, like I spoke with you in the middle of my whole saga and you said, oh, that's a whole season gone. And I said, no, <laughs> it's not. <I> said, what? <laughs> Don't tell me that. <laughs> I've still got opportunities. You have. You so, have. And the, well, the worlds, the worlds do suit you. Talk us through it. What have you made? Have you had a chance to look at the course and what are yeah, your expectations? So actually went to ride the course um, when I was still trying to figure out what was going on with my heart. Um, so I took myself to Leuven and I went and rode the course. And um, of course, it's not super easy. Like there's climbs, there's super punchy. It's going to be a lot about positioning. But um, it's also, it's a Flemish style, you know, Belgium style race. So it's so much about luck. It's so much about making your own luck. And um yeah, I'm good at that. So I'm just going to go in and, yeah, see, see what I can do. <laughs> okay. Firstly, Chloe, in my defence, when we had that conversation, you'd been in Copenhagen with COVID. You're back pedaling, <laughs> correct? You had heart issues. You'd hardly ridden your bike for two or three months. For a normal person, it was season over, but you're not normal. That's the difference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I am. I, I am resilient. And I, um, I, it's something that I think I've, I've um, really built up throughout my career. You know, I've had a lot of knockbacks and I've been told no a lot of times. And I've just always been like, you know what? I'm going to prove you wrong. So yeah, I, love <laughs> I love that. And yeah. what about Roubaix, Paris-Roubaix? Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, 
uh, I'm a reserve for that. And obviously I've got a lot of work to do to like uh, work my way back into the team. So when the race was scheduled for um, April, I think it was, um, I was in the team. So, but you know, a lot happened. (laughs) And so now I've been put back as reserve. And um, I don't know if you know this, but I'm on a team that has very good riders. I know. I've got a fair idea. (laughs) So I've got to work my way back in and um, that's fine. You know, I I rise to challenges and for sure um, I would love to do Roubaix, but um, if it doesn't happen this year, as long as it happens at some point in my career, it's fine. (laughs) Well, I've got an easy solution, Chloe. Tell me. They, They couldn't leave the world champion off their team. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Good point. Win yeah. the worlds. <laughs> Done. I, I can Easy. feel an eerie similarity to the story of like Matt Heyman when he had that injury before Roubaix and he used to sort of, I'm not saying that you always overcook things and think it, but he went into that race so mentally relaxed because, yeah, it was like a bonus, a lot of this fear yeah. because it's like you got nothing to lose. And that mentality that you've got, that is such an edge on your competitors because they've been through a whole year. They're thinking about totally different stuff. Your head is clear. So, yeah. geez, I think, I think that's lining up. And I can feel it in the peloton. Like these girls have been racing full gas since the last weekend of February. And so they're tired. They're mentally tired. And But I'm still super motivated. So um, I do feel like I do have that advantage and I'm going to milk it for all it's worth. <laughs> I've got a question from Andy Matthews. He says, hi, guys. Close win in Norway was so great to watch. Do you have vision of the post-race interview? It was one of the best I've seen. Now, I saw that on the Maccas podcast. We don't have it lined up, and you are known for some cracking post-race interviews. I remember sitting there watching the one at the Cobb Games when you dropped. Did you drop the F-bomb? You dropped something, I but I remember going, yeah, I that did. was <laughs> she, she opened up with the F-bomb. <laughs> oh, I thought, that is just classic. And then, you know... Sorry, viewers, a technical glitch there. <laughs> what, no, can, but, you, can you remember what you yeah. said after the finish line? Um, well, it won't be very authentic now, will it? No. Um, yeah, I just I sort of talked through what it meant to me and I was, like, really proud of myself for getting through the, the shitty periods and then coming out with a win. Um and I think it's really important to, like, sit back and be like, well done you, you know. Mm. <laughs> um, and then I just talked about being, uh, for Australians right now in particular, how it can be quite isolating over here and how I had a lot of good support from my team. Like, there was really no pressure through um, through my whole recovery process to or expectations for me to come back and win, you know. They were just happy for me to come back and race. So um, that I was really grateful that they hadn't piled that pressure on top because that would have been a lot. Um, so, and then, I, yeah, I talked through the sprint at the end, how, like, my, my thinking process and um, because I am someone who really goes into a sprint with a plan. Um, like, I, I look at the finish. I, I re-watch if, if the race has been there before. I watch how other people have won it. Um, I'll look at Google Earth and um, I'll go in with a really clear plan. And I did that on the fourth stage in Norway and um, I won. 
You make a very good DS right, when you retire, Chloe. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know if that's on my cards. <laughs> All the racing stuff aside, though, Chloe, what made the interview was the human element of it. Mm. Everybody can relate to the human side of it, the isolation from your family, the support network that you have around you. And, Dan, that was the key of the interview, mm. and that's what rattled David McKenzie. When David McKenzie with Christophe Mallet, when they played that interview, and he was watching it for the second time, it wasn't the first time for Macca watching it, he was actually tearing up. He was choking back the tears. He felt <laughs> your emotion because he's been in that similar position where he's come back from a horrific crashes and injuries and he's been on the other side of the world at a time in the 90s where the world was a lot bigger. You couldn't talk to your family on FaceTime and he was writing letters home. And it was something that really resonated with him and struck a massive chord with him. And I asked him about it then three hours later in commentary and he couldn't talk. He was still riding your <laughs> wave of emotion, the way you spoke about your family and that support. It was absolutely beautiful, Chloe. Yeah, no, and I really appreciate the support from everyone back home like <laughs> that um, that that resonated with them. And for me, it, you know, to be able to share what we're experiencing um, is really special. And for people to understand um, is also, you know, because... Um, I don't know. It's it's nice sharing things with Aussies. It's it's special. <laughs> and also, it makes people realise that you're not robots. Like you're people. No, like you're no. Similar emotions, you know. Um, I've been so watching that, a few of the um, interviews from the Paralympics, and there's been mm. a few f bombs dropped, and I'm loving it. <laughs> I think oh, yeah. we should normalise normalise <laughs> dropping the f bomb in um in interviews. <laughs> well. Just be careful on the detour. We can get away with the odd shit, but I think if we start, <laughs> we start really dropping a few bombs, if he, I think you'll be starting to sweat, mate. Ah, oh, uh, Samantha has got a question for you. She says, "Is the women's Paraguay Bay the same course as the men's Chloe?" So we do the final 116 kilometers of the men's race, so it's exactly the same. Mm. Um, I think we do. 16 or 17 sections of cobbles and it's it's like um 40 percent of our race i think or more so it's a yeah. lot of cobbles and i've done the recon <laughs> and mm. it's brutal it's it's just um you know okay maybe one section is fine two section is fine but once you get to the end it's just your legs are sapped of energy and that was in training <laughs> so um yeah it's it's you understand why they call it the hell of the north <laughs> i rode 100 meters of the arenberg forest so i couldn't walk for a week <laughs> yeah i mean i was in um i was in lockdown when the actual roubaix day was meant to be or i was in quarantine to be honest um and so i i was like you know what i'm gonna watch from start to finish a roubaix so I think I watched the 2003 um, edition or the one that um, uh, Backstead won. And I watched the Arenberg Forest and I was like, this is epic. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. like Rolf Ad Aldag hit the start of the forest, full gas. And then by a, a third of the way through, he was like standing still. Motorbikes were falling over. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> it's yeah. crazy, but yeah. we don't do the forest. We don't do the Arenberg forest. Uh, okay. So, yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> 2004. 2004. There sorry, you go. Sorry. <laughs> that's why. That's why he's here. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. 
Keep us in Roger line. Hammond. Roger Hammond finished third, and he rode the Sun Tour a couple of times. If you'd remember, and he was the Junior World Cyclocross Champion in 1990. Roger Hammond, and Maggie's daughters are pretty good too, aren't they, Chloe? Yeah. Well, Eleanor's on my team actually, so yeah. she's for sure a a big talent, um, really good time trialist. She's still like finding her feet in the road racing, but she's also young. So, um, and we don't have that under 23 category. So it's a big step for the young girls to jump straight into the elite. Mm. Yeah. Well, Chloe, it's been fantastic having you on the detour and the insights, and it's great to see you back. And as I said, <laughs> that mentality going into the oh, world, you got the edge iffy before we let Chloe go. Just, are you, you're coming back this summer and are you going to ride the Bay Crits? Oh, the Bay Crits. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I wish, I wish. And honestly, I was on the list for this year, um, but I don't think I'm going to make it back this summer. My um, my husband's actually moved to Europe, so we're relocating here and um, it's just too hard, I think. So yeah. I'm going to try and suffer through my first European winter. And see how it goes. <laughs> oh, bummer, bummer. <laughs> uh, well, it's, it's been fantastic having you on the show, Chloe. We'll check in again soon after you get the rainbow bands. No pressure. Awesome, <laughs> Chloe. Hey, thanks for proving me wrong. Sensational, Chloe. Oh. Love the win in Norway. Can't wait to watch the rest of the season. Absolutely magnificent. Thanks, guys. This was fun. <laughs> I had no idea what I was getting myself into. <laughs> I just had John messaging me and he's like, Chloe, we'd love to have you on. And I felt so much pressure. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> no, there's no pressure here, I can tell you. No, bro. It was thanks, fantastic. Ha- thanks, Chloe. 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 See you guys. Bye. Bye. Chloe Hossi's fantastic story. Look, we'll take a, a quick Quick drinks break. Can you hang around for a little bit longer, Ken? We'll have a quick yeah. unpacking of uh, what's happening in the world to the last couple of weeks, a couple of big stories uh, overnight. So uh, let's have a quick drinks break and we'll be back with more of the Welter after this. Look at this bike. You think it's just a bike, right? But it's not. <clears throat> it's a bike. 374 people are looking at. This guy, this girl, them, all looking at it. People from here, there, and wherever this is. People that are looking for a bike. Or just a piece of it. Amateurs. Semi-amateurs. And pro-amateurs. This guy wants this bike, but with this crank. And these bars. This could be the perfect match. But not this one. This girl has a bike to sell. And thousands of people might purchase it. Eyes on bikes help grow small businesses. His, hers, yours, and the latest data and insights help those businesses keep moving. We are the world's number one bike marketplace with over 500,000 products and 900 brands where buyers and sellers are brought together in a place where a bike is never just a bike. Bike Exchange, where the world buys, sells, learns, and rides. Life is like a two-way street. It's about consideration and mutual respect. Roads are much the same. However you get around, walk, ride or drive, if we share our roads, we can all be safer. The Amy Gillett Foundation is Australia's peak cycling safety charity. Our mission is for safe cycling in Australia. Our vision is for zero cyclist deaths. Over the last year, we've seen an enormous increase in people taking up cycling, whether it be for recreation, with the family, commuting or even to start your own cycling career. 
we need to do more to make it safer for every cyclist. 20 cyclists every day are hospitalised and one cyclist is killed every 10 days on Australian roads. So, the next time you jump on your bike or hop in your car, remember to practice the four C's. Be courteous, calm, considerate and conscientious. Every cyclist's death is preventable and we all deserve to get home safely. Please donate to help the Amy Gillett Foundation make the road safer for you and for me. Thanks again to Thanks Bikes again Shane, to Bikes, Shane. And some great Thanks. messages there from the Amy Gillett Foundation. Now, let's get back to the Vuelta lads, and uh, we've got to pay credit to Rafa Micah straight off the bat. Oh. I mean, Keenan, what, what a ride. <laughs> that was super. So he was with Fabio Aru with about 125 kilometres to go. Figured at 87 k's to go, he ditched him. He rode solo, and there was a point on the penultimate climb where Stephen Kruzweig attacked the remnants of the main breakaway group. And at the start of the climb, a 20-kilometer climb, it was two minutes and 20 seconds. Kruzweig got within a minute and 30 seconds. And then Raphael Micah started dragging it back out the other way and sent it back to about the 140 mark and then was celebrating with three or four Ks to go. It was absolutely fantastic. And then the interview afterwards, we spoke just with Chloe a couple of moments ago about the support network around her, mum and dad at home, the element, that the role that they play, even though they're on the other side of the world. And Rafa, Micah, last night, he was kissing and blowing up to the sky because his dad passed away earlier on this year. And he got pretty emotional, understandably, when he spoke about his dad and his kids watching. And it was beautiful to see him let the guard down. Mm. And four years uh, since he'd won a stage, we happened to be in the Vuelta uh, uh, four years ago, which really surprised me. But the one thing I didn't realise, and you, of course, uh, the font of all knowledge, uh, mentioned it last night, um, was that uh, Kruzevich hasn't won at, no. at World Tour. Crazy. Okay, yeah, I couldn't believe Ever. that. Uh, no, he's, just... he's, he hasn't won a Grand Tour stage. He's won yeah. one World Tour level race 10 years ago, won a stage of the Tour Swiss. Mm. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So the guy has finished fourth at the Vuelta, fourth at the Giro, should have won that Giro if he didn't crash in with one small mistake on the left hand. Oh, yeah. he's, been, he's been third at the Tour de France. So this guy has finished third place at the Tour de France and has not won a stage in a Grand Tour and he's won two yeah. professional bike races. So Ify, what does that tell you about how good Michael Storr is when he's won two stages of this Vuelta? Oh, well, look, the Aussies have just have been great, haven't they? You've got Michael Story, of course. Well, that's a story and a half. But Jay Vine, that almost matches him, what he's been from, from winning a, a Swift Academy and coming on a, a, the world tour, which is unheard of, anything like yeah. that happening, and then getting into a grand tour, and they just kept improving. And he's and got third, two more years on his contract. Yeah, but his yes, third yeah. place two days ago. Was staggering, and when he went down, like you and Macca, <laughs> I thought he was out. I mean, he he must have been doing seventy k an hour when he's gone. He, he might have had some sticky biddings, John. <laughs> <laughs> but still, you I, did right. It's a crap right. I thought he's done. <laughs> no, no. But that, you you take you take that element away from it. Yeah. Just yeah. the damage from those injuries to mm. finish third, and look at the company he was keeping. So the one guy, one guy got away from him. Harada, who finished second, was doing a lot less work than Jay Vine was, uh, Jay Vine was, and only just beat him. The guy who beat him 
has finished second at the Tour de France. He's finished third at the Tour de France. And he's won the King of the Mountains at the Tour de France in three stages there. So that's the guy who beat him. The guy who finished behind him just won the gold medal at the Olympic Games in mountain biking and is one of the big hopes for the sport and is an enormous talent. Jay Vine crashed at 60 plus Ks an hour and beat that guy. Plus he beat a whole bunch of others in the breakaway. What a phenomenal performance. So the way, exactly, the way he oh, came through and picked his way through uh, amazing. Way, which was fragmenting, and he went boom, 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 up and got through. It was just amazing. It is amazing. So, so Green Edge mascot. How yes. does Green Edge miss signing a guy like this? Mm. How, do they, how do they miss not having Michael Storr, who was with their development squad? How do they miss a guy like Ben O'Connor, who was out of contract at the end of last year? They'd be a little bit disappointed that they're missing some of these guys. Well, if they listened to the mascot, they wouldn't have missed any of them. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, so the old it's, Kevin funny, it's funny, you know. <laughs> Kevin Bartlett, the man. I was talking to Jerry about that the other day, and, and, and he realised that there, 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 there has to be a, a big change in their in their thinking. In a scout. Look. Mm. So, uh, yeah, so, yeah, th- th- those things, don't you worry. Jerry hasn't missed it, I can tell you that. I, but, but I, haven't, noticed, I've, I haven't known Jerry to miss much, John. No, no. But, but cycling is no different to other sports. Like, in fact, it should be more emphasis on a specific role, like what you said, Kenan, like a scout. Yeah. Because it is getting so competitive and these young guys are coming on so much quicker. That yeah. role should be more defined and, and more priority. Like yeah. and the world, the world has changed. The world has changed. Yes. You're not now chasing the big names anymore. You're chasing mm. these youngsters yeah. who become big names very, very quickly. So, Which DSM so. have done brilliantly. And a guy like Matt White, his role as the DS, he shouldn't have to be the one that is trying to identify the young talent because you know, he's in Europe. He's lived there for 20-plus years. It's not his responsibility, really, I wouldn't have thought, to know what's happening in the NRS. So... You know, he can't be doing his DS role super well and doing that role super well. He needs somebody else to support him in identifying that young talent. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, for in sure. Furious and, and agreement. In furious agreement, Matty. So, <laughs> so obviously, uh, Adam Yates had a good ride, Matty, and I saw – what did he pull? 10 seconds or whatever went off the front 15, there. But I think. Yeah. I saw Banal yeah. saying it was really good for team morale, but I read into that like – well, what is the team morale at the moment? You know, they are, they're not used mm. to having two grand tours back-to-back where they haven't really fired a shot and it hasn't quite worked. Um, where where do you think they're at at the moment? Well, they've lost two. They've lost Carapaz and they've lost Navaez. They're both abandoned. Uh, Navaez, it was through gastroenteritis and Carapaz is just absolutely exhausted after what has been an enormous season for him. Bernal has been an interesting one. He hasn't been anywhere near them in the first week. And then there was the day that was won by Florian Seneschal where he was the only guy from the GC that was able to stick with the Koenig quick step when they opened up the throttle. And that was the first time. It was just a glimmer of hope, I thought, for Bernal and for Ineos. And then the very next day, it was the first day in a mountaintop finish where he stayed with Mus, Roglic and Haig. I think that Bernal is improving. But in terms of what he needs to make up, he's currently 245 down on Roglic. So he's still got a lot of time to make up. And everybody's going to need a head start on Roglic before the individual time trial. But I think Roglic might be on a slight decline as well. He won the Olympic Games now more than three weeks ago, that individual mm. time trial. You can only stay at that level for so long. Again, like you spoke about with Chloe in her interview, he's not a robot. He's only human. 
and he has in the past faded a little bit in the third week. And he wasn't responding really crisply just in the last couple of days to the attacks that we saw from Lopez nor the move that we saw last night from Adam Yates. So I don't think it's a foregone conclusion yet that Roglic is no, going to win this thing. No, no and, and that's what Peter says. He says, the Vuelta this year has been the best of the three grand tours this year. Do you agree, Matt? Oh, mate, Pete, you and I are singing from the same hymn sheet. Absolutely. It's because there's, that, there's less predictability about it, and that's what I really like. And I, I really, as much as Roglic is the big favourite, and I would not be in the least bit surprised if he does win, there's Movistar, they're not racing for the team's classification. They're all in with Lopez and Mas, and those two guys are actually combining really well together, much better than it looks like Valverde and Quintana ever worked together. Jack Haig is not out of this thing either. Jack Haig, you spoke about Matt Heyman as an example and how that's worked for Chloe. Jack Haig's exactly the same in this world yeah. after crashing yeah. out of the tour. And he's in it fresh. He didn't go to the Olympics. He's a lot fresher than what Primoz Roglic was. And Jack's got a team around him that was built for the leader, Mikael Lander. I think Jack is looking absolutely fantastic. And we saw yesterday, Jumbo Visma, for the first time, use a tactic that we haven't seen them use before. They put Sepp Kuss in the early breakaway on the flat section before they hit the climbs even, when they were doing 52K an hour, and Movistar had to chase. So they're clearly thinking about what they need to do to protect Roglic and put other teams under pressure and expose them, force Movistar and Ineos to chase. So this race has got a lot to give yet. Yeah, no, I agree. We I, heard... I think stage 17 and 18 are monsters. Oh. They're both of yep. them. And they're going to decide this bike race. The only thing I'm slightly disappointed in is that the last two days, which have been pretty serious climbing, that no one has really taken on, uh, uh, attacked Jumbo Visma. Uh, and I thought they would have done a bit more work. I mean, the fact that uh, uh, the Viking, Iking the Viking, is still uh, in the red jersey just shows that. It just hasn't been uh, a lot of action. I thought they would have been working on him and uh, doing some extra things. But anyway, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Well, last, the last climb yesterday wasn't quite hard enough. It was a you know 3.5% average gradient. Raphael Marker had been away solo for 87 kilometres and rode the big chain ring up there at 30 plus K an hour. So it's, it's hard to get away under those circumstances. The day before where I was expecting some attacks, Lopez went and he only took five seconds, I think it was. It was a headwind for the last 10 kilometres. But what Lopez said afterwards was the time gains were small, but I was pretty happy with how the legs felt. So he will keep attacking. Well, here's a good question from Tom Maloney. Keenan, how many of the guys expecting a top 10 are misjudging the present leader and team? That is a very good question. I think even I think even Odd Christian Iking might have misjudged how good he is. And this is this is a guy who is super relaxed, and that's part of his strength. And we saw how composed he was on the stage that was won by Roman Bardet. So he goes into that stage. He's got a fifty-eight second lead ahead of Gear Martin. They've got five kilometers to go. Gear Martin attacks. Instead of responding to his nearest rival, he makes the quick assessment of it's a headwind up here. He's got 5Ks to go. Yumbo Vismar are still looking after Roglic. They're going to have to chase at some stage. So I'll just stay on the wheel and out of the wind and they'll eventually bring him back for me. What composure. And mm. you'll love this, Dan. So when Odd Christian Iking was riding for FDJ, he was 22 years of age, 2017, his second year with that squad, the second last day was up the Angliru, the most brutal climb in the Vuelta de España. And he finished 29th position on that stage. Pretty good. Ended his Vuelta fairly well. 
They transfer into Madrid that night. He goes out for a few beers and he gets back to the hotel. Team manager Mark Matteo sees him come into the hotel and figures, you're drunk. Says, you're not starting tomorrow. So he's done 20 stages. The last 100 kilometers ceremonial into Madrid. Matteo did not let him start that final stage. He then didn't renew his contract for the next year. Then... Four years later, he gets the leader's jersey as a 26-year-old at the Volta de Spagna. He's on the podium, gets the red jersey. He goes backstage. He finishes the interview. First thing he does, he has a beer, posts a photo. I think I've earned it. Ah, oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> Get out of here. That is brilliant. <laughs> it's a lesson but, in that, folks. Never yeah. deny yourself <laughs> a froth. Oh, well, I've, I've, I've lived by that. But um... I, I don't think he can win it. Tom, I don't think he can win it. But he can, he can, he's definitely going to finish top 10, I think, and maybe even top five. He's going to be hard to dislodge. Yeah. And it's a I turning don't, point I don't in his think career. He's get the podium. Yeah. No, he's not going to get the podium, but maybe somewhere about fifth to, to seventh, maybe. It's a turning point in his career. Mm. Sam wants to know what does Bike Exchange have to do to win a stage? Stop yeah. walking <laughs> under ladders or across black caps. <laughs> Look, Michael I, Matthews. Oh, Michael Matthews' last chance is is today. Um, no, it's not Tuesday. Today. It's a rest day, well, John. The next it might day. be his last chance. <laughs> Tuesday. <laughs> um, and you know, there's not really. Uh, um, I can tell you now that uh, Fabio Jacobson is tired. He he, he is struggling yeah. you know, to get blown off the wheel. And and I didn't like the way he cracked it. Uh, uh, with his teammate, no, that was, that was terrible. That was terrible. Pretty poor, pretty poor. He'd been hanging around Cav too long, I think. But um, so there is a chance uh, it, it's going to be. It's getting tough. Everyone's getting tired. So he's got a chance tomorrow night. That's his. That's his last chance for bike yeah. exchange. They need to get someone in the breakaway in one of those. Nick Schultz. They need Nick, Nick Schultz in the breakaway. Nick's, Nick, Nick's good. Nick is going yeah, well. And he was Nick's actually good. very good uh, the day, the last stage of Mike Stora uh, won. Yeah. He looked uh, yeah. very strong. I think and it's been a tough fight. Yeah, he's great, Nick Nevi. And, you know, what's he doing next year? He's still up for contract. I think it's been a tough tour, John, for Lucas Hamilton. Uh, actually, a tough season for Lucas Hamilton because he's seen all the guys of his generation. Michael Stora, for example, he first raced against him as a 13-year-old. He's now won two stages. Jai Hindley is the same age. The back end of last year, he finished second at the Giro and he won a stage. He's seen Ben O'Connor break out this year again, a similar age. He won a stage at the Tour and he finished in fourth place overall. Jack Haig is having a brilliant performance here. So seeing all these guys around him of his generation that are having brilliant performances and he's been the touted one for quite a while at the Bike Exchange team and he hasn't had a year that's matched those guys and not everybody progresses at the same time. And I think that that is going to make it challenging for him just to deal with that, to put it aside, not get distracted by that and continue to focus on his own path. And it was good to see him in the breakaway yesterday. I'd like to see him get a positive result throughout this welter. doesn't have to be a win, but something that sends him into the off season with, with a boost of morale heading into next year. Got a couple of comments. Uh, Peter says, if you guys were right, well, this should be, if John was right, Bling would have won 10 stages by now. <laughs> <laughs> well played, Peter. <laughs> um, Benji, who's from the Lanton Rouge podcast, does some fantastic work. Without SBS coverage here in Belgium, this is one of the first times I've heard Matt Keenan. Clever man, this dude. <laughs> well, Benji, it's all your fault. You have built the cult of Alex Aaron Buru. We've been on board, Benji. 
Yeah, and Buster <laughs> Thomas says, we are spoiled here in Australia with the excellence of SBS. We were talking to Macca, obviously, the other night, and, um, you know, I think it is something to be recognised, the amount of uh, legacy and work that the SBS coverage has done, you know, for cycling. And um, we are talking about even the... You're saying, you know, so far the Vuelta has been the best of the three Grand Tours. How good would it be if it got the same recognition and exposure and interest as, as the Tour de France? Because the racing's been fantastic. Yeah, but the Tour is an event that's it's not a bike race. It's an event. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a bit like the Spring Racing Carnival here in Australia. I pay zero attention to any horse race all year long. But all the paraphernalia that goes around the Spring Racing Carnival, I'll watch the Melbourne Cup. It's about the only horse race I watch each year. And I couldn't tell you who's won it previously, except for Jerry's horses when Americane has won. That's about it. Outside of that, and for a lot of people, the Tour de France is the same. And a lot of the feedback that we're getting commentary is I want to hear more about the chateaus and the churches. One of the Mm. best pieces of feedback I had was Stage 9 2018 that went to Roubaix. So you know the north of France. It's not the prettiest part of the world. The day was won by John Degenkolb, and I thought we had done a pretty good job in commentary. One of the pieces of feedback that I got was, you need to talk more about the chateaus. There's no chateaus in Roubaix. The place is run down. So we're going to start making them up. Uh, uh, Free Rangers has an interesting comment. No beers, but Chris Horner told the story on his channel how when he won the Vuelta, he ate Maccas every night. He was also 103 years old when he won the Volta Espanya. <laughs> yeah. But it was funny. Baden Cook was managing him around about that time. And he said his uh, eating regime was absolutely terrible. It was Macca's, Kentucky. I mean, that's what he lived on. It's calories in and calories out. He was getting plenty out the door. He needed to get them back in the door. Uh, It was bonkers, that win. And then he he did. And then after he was, he could hardly get a contract at the end of that season. And he ended up at Lamprey. And then he didn't ride the Volta the following year. And so Lamprey got number one, and Valerio Conti, his first ever Grand Tour, Lamprey get number one, and then they just gave out their their numbers alphabetically within that team. So Valerio Conti, his first Grand Tour, he's riding around with number one on his back. <laughs> How's that? Uh, uh, last one before we let you go, Matty. Samantha says, studies on COVID are still inconclusive on how it affects professional athletes. Banal is surely still recovering. That's a good good point. Yeah. And I've been asking that question as well. And it varies for different people. And Magnus Court Nielsen had COVID as well. Jens Kirkelier, who you interview, he also had COVID. Harry Sweeney did. Harry Sweeney, he said he got a girlfriend as a result. So that was a pretty good outcome. (laughs) It it affects different people. Peter Sagan has had COVID. He hasn't looked the same. Fernando Gaviria has had COVID and hasn't looked the same. Egan Bernal, I'm not sure. He had it pretty much immediately after the Giro d'Italia and it will have, at the very least, that will take away from his recovery from the Giro, which then pushes back his preparation for the Volta ever so slightly. And I don't think he's you know, looking the Egan Bernal that won the Giro or the Egan Bernal that won the Tour a couple of years ago, but he is on the improve. I had a conversation with David McKenzie and Christophe Mallet a couple of days ago about Egan Bernal in comparison to Jonas Vingegaard. And if you're a team manager and you could sign only one of those guys, which one would you sign? Mm. Jonas. I'd sign Jonas. I said Jonas and they disagreed with me. No, no I'd sign Jonas. Yeah. Stand your bloody ground. He's, he's the future. He's the future. Well, let's, let's go, John. Get the mascot <laughs> on the phone to Jerry. Yeah. You know, 
there's COVID and there's COVID. This is what, what uh, we're seeing. There, there are people who get COVID and end up in ICU, and there are people who yeah. get COVID and ha- have virtually no symptoms. So well, you sound like Donald Rumfeld. Real... There are known None. knowns. There are unknown. <laughs> but it is the case, isn't it? I mean, yeah. uh, you know, so that, that's why yeah. you know, someone can get it. Hardly being affected, and, and look at poor Chloe. I mean, she ended up with a, you know, a, 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 in the sack around the heart yeah. with being inflamed. All of these different things can, can affect you. So, uh, Tom says, good point. Bernal, yeah. yeah, good Bernal point, Tom. And the long term effects, yeah. the long term effects, Tom, are also a big question. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Matty, thanks for joining right. us on thanks, the detour, guys. mate. Really appreciate it. Good luck for the final week of your commentary, mate. You're doing a stellar job with Macca, and uh, yeah, we'll catch up again soon. Thank you. Enjoy, Ciao. Enjoy the rest day, mate. Will do. Matt Keated, commentator extraordinaire. Now, Ify, we talk a lot about uh, how to beat, you know, the routine of lockdowns and things like that. So one thing you always have to do, you always have to have a good laugh, and you always keep saying to me, bring back the detour DeLorean, so it's back. Roads? Well, we're going, we don't need roads. Now, I don't care how many times you've seen this video. I said it to Sheriff the other night, and someone did a supercut. It always makes me laugh. So here it is again. This is a supercut from the Vuelta in 2015, I think it was now. It's the Where Fruby Best Of. Green egg. Hey, Frumi. Yo. You saw that video of his the other day? Say again? The, the video with him the other day, he said, my passenger said, where's Frumi? I said, I don't f***ing know where Frumi is. Yeah, he f***ing did not like that story, did he? <laughs> <laughs> he was thinking, get to the punchline, mate. Yeah. That right. was brilliant. He just wasted his time to tell him, yeah, how'd he go in there? Where's Frumi? Great story. Uh, you're so excited when you told it too. Hey, Frumi, listen to this. I've got a belter for you. Hey. The guy in the passenger seat asked where you were. Oh, he's awesome, mate. Hey, Frumi, we didn't finish the story. Look at that, guys. I'll go to the bunch. Uh, we were just checking to Fruby and um, we didn't finish the punchline. Can you get him to drop back? Shoot you! Fruby! Fruby! Turn to Orange Jetty's car, please. <laughs> Neil needs to get the punchline out. The punchline was. <laughs> my reply was, I don't give a f. Possibly one of the worst <laughs> stories you've shared with us. Thank you, Quebec. Thank you. Hang on, hang on, we got it. Story for I told the story the entire day. I ain't giving. And then I said, and then, did you get it? You get it? It's funny, yeah? Oh, Rocky. What were you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. But you got the best reaction that you probably could have got. He smiled and rode off. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good day. Going on, hey? Tell me a joke too. Hey, do you hear the one about? Uh, I, 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 all my stories just finished there because I, 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 I heard that's how they all finished. Huh? <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Am I? Ah, good days, good days. There we go, though. But uh, now it's fantastic having Keenan on, and uh, obviously Chloe. Uh, what a what a superstar! What a great media performer as well, Chloe is. Um, you know what? She, we don't have to do anything about our our um, detour uh, lockdown blues today because just listen to Chloe. She nailed it. Oh yeah, for sure. She nailed it. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, we need to send a cheerio to a Miller Resorts. Have you got your script ready, Iffy? I have. Okay, I have. perfect. Yep. Discover a tropical playground of powdered sugar sand, lush jungle, and crystalline waters. A Miller Maldives luxury resort reeks of timeless style and endless bliss. Stand by for unexpected treats and indulgences. Delighting and surprising you is their hallmark. Miller's motto is to exceed your expectations. The sky is the limit. Ah, great stuff. Where are we at with the solid auctions? Anyone? It hasn't uh, jumped up. No, it's still 5,250. Although I haven't checked my emails the last hour, but uh, at (laughs) the stage, it's still 5,250. Email Um, john at cyclingevents.com.au. That's five nights for two adults, two children in a waterfront villa. Uh, That's breakfast, dinner, and Jason and the team will definitely look after you guys. Worth over $13,500. And the bid's at uh, a bit over five grand at the moment. So it's an absolute steal. And obviously, all the proceeds raised are going to go to the Koreka Foundation. All the money for the bid is going straight to those guys who are doing fantastic work with Phil Liggett. Um, anything you want to add before we wrap things up, Ify? Tomorrow, we're trying to get Jack Hay. We've put yes. the sheriff onto it. We're going to try and do a pre-record interview. Um, but uh, if we can't get Jack, we're definitely going to check in with some guys on the ground tomorrow. For sure. So I, I, we, we would have got poor old Jack, but they didn't get at 11 o'clock last night and the sheriff said he'll, he'll sleep right through till they have to get on the bike. So That's uh, right. We, we, we miss getting him, but uh, it'd be great to talk to him because I, I, I reckon he's going to make the podium. I really do. Oh, yeah. He's, he's looking good, and particularly in this final week when it gets brutal, um, he's he's looking really good. Uh, thanks again for all your support on the show, guys. YouTube.com forward slash the detour podcast. We appreciate all the likes, shares, the subscriptions. It's uh, it's really uh, – it, it makes a difference. It does. So the more we get, um, yeah, the more you get notified whenever we go live. And we'll be live again tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. And we'll see you then for uh, the final week of the Tour of Spain. Ciao.